Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Well, Pastor Xavier is going to be sharing today. Xavier has been with us uh, for a little over a year. He's been our youth and worship pastor, and so he's been giving his time uh, pouring into our kids and leading our worship team and, and giving some structure to that. He's taken on some projects like the stage redesign and the website redesign and has been working hard and using his gifts to bless us here at Meadowbrook. One thing he has never done, where you are going to see history this morning, is he has never preached a Sunday morning sermon. In all of his years of ministry, he has taught tons in terms of the youth ministry and uh, retreats and that kind of thing, but this is a first for him. So we are going to be able to say, I remember I was there that time years ago when Pastor Xavier took this next step in his ministry, uh, which is pretty cool that we get to be a part of that. So he's got a word in his heart from the Lord for us. Uh, I pray that we hear it this morning from the Lord through him. Would you welcome Xavier as he comes? <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for that awesome, awesome introduction. I hope I live up to that. That was pretty cool. Um, so like Chris said, this is my first time preaching ever. It's actually my second time if you count this morning, the first service. So I guess you can say I'm a seasoned pro by now. I got this. But um, it's great to be up here this morning sharing from the Word with you. I've been looking forward to this, and I've been praying that this morning would be encouraging and uplifting for all of us here, and that God would reveal truth and wisdom through His Word. Amen. So Chris and I, we've been talking and thinking about this morning for some time now, about what the theme or the topic should be for my first time preaching ever. And as we talked about this, it became clear that this morning should be on worship. Um, Like Chris said, I'm the guy who gets to oversee the worship ministry. I'm one of the worship leaders here, along with a team of great people, the worship team. And it's something that a lot of us here have in common. If you attend Meadowbrook or any church on a regular basis, then you most likely have been exposed to this idea of worshiping God. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense that I speak on worship this morning. And so this morning we're talking about the heart of worship and getting into the Word to hopefully gain a deeper understanding on why we worship and what the heart of worshipers should look like. So you may know this, but my son Charlie, who's three and three quarters, three and 11, 12, he's going on four soon, he's getting old now, but uh, he's a very musical little guy. He loves music, he loves worship, he loves to sing and to play the guitar and the piano and the drums. He's pretty good at every instrument, I would say, but, um, and I'm his dad, so I can say that, but he's actually quite gifted. And uh, a few days ago, we were home, and I was in the basement praying, and I was praying for this morning specifically over the worship time, that God would bless this time we're spending together worshiping, and that this morning the songs we're singing would be a blessing to us and to God. And so I walked away from that worship time feeling really good and feeling strongly about the songs that the worship team sang this morning. And I went back upstairs and Charlie came up to me and he said, Daddy, where were you? And so I said, well, Daddy was praying in the basement. And then he asked me what I was praying for, which if you think about it, it's kind of odd for a toddler to ask. But I said, well, Daddy was praying for the worship songs that we're doing on Sunday. And again, Charlie loves worship and he loves music. So naturally his next question was, well, what songs are we doing? So I told him one of the songs that we're doing this morning that I felt really strongly about, that I felt like it's going to be a great time of worship for us. And when I told him that, he, he stopped for a second, and he kind of looked down, and he was thinking really hard. He could tell the wheels were turning really fast, and he was deep in thought. And after a few moments of that, he looked up, and he said, No, Daddy, I don't like that song. That's a bad song. Can we do Man of Sorrows? I love Man of Sorrows. And it's funny how children just speak their minds boldly, and they don't care if they crush your feelings. But... Hey, we're doing the song that I wanted, so I got my way. I showed him. 
But uh, I want to show you a clip this morning of Charlie uh, at home, actually not at our house, at his grandparents' house, a year ago, putting on a show and singing and worshiping, because I want to give you a glimpse of what Charlie is like when he's doing his singing and worshiping thing. So this is Charlie putting on a show for you this morning. Yes, I am that dad who's proudly, annoyingly proud of his son and making you watch clips and that stuff. But that's who I am, and that's okay. <laughs> so as you can see, our house is full of singing and music, and it gets loud and noisy and rowdy, and sometimes it gets chaotic and out of control. But we love it, and we would not have it any other way. And whenever Charlie's doing his thing, and he's singing and worshiping, he gets really into it, and he sings at the top of his lungs, and it's a full-body experience. He's got this rocking sway thing that he does, and the hand goes up in the air, and he worships, and it's really cute to watch. Now, Tina, my wife, and I, we know that he's not quite old enough to, to fully understand what it means to worship God yet. But we're teaching him from now that singing is fun, and music is great, but that there's a deeper purpose for those things that we are called to use our voices to worship and praise God. Even if you're in high school, junior high, or even if you're Charlie and Lincoln's age, we're all called to do that. And so as we talk about worship this morning, our text is in Psalm 40, verse 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find it on uh, page 559 in the Bible in front of you. So Psalm 40, verse 3 says, He has given me a new song to sing of praises to our God. Now many will hear of the glorious things He did for me and stand in awe before the Lord and put their trust in Him. So as we look at this verse this morning, clearly it stinks of worship, it reeks of worship. In fact, worship pastors and worship leaders, we often go back to this chapter, Psalm 40, because it captures the essence of worship so well. And as we look at this verse this morning, we're going to split it in half, because there's two things happening here, there's two things at play. And as we delve into the text, we're going to call these two things the two dimensions of worship, if you will, because one explains why we worship, and the other explains how we ought to worship. So I want to take this morning to have a look at the life of King David, because as we talk about worship, David is often thought of as the benchmark or where the bar is set when it comes to worship. Dave, uh, Bono from U2 has called David the, the ultimate worshiper, and I kind of like Bono, so I kind of like that he calls him that. But we see in the scriptures that David was not only a great leader and a great king and a man after God's own heart, but he was also a great poet and a great writer. We know he was far from being a perfect man, but he had a gift, he had an ability for taking the events of his life and turning them into these wonderful poems and songs, which we call the Psalms. And in his writings, David had a gift for putting the nature of God into word in a way that I think few people have been able to capture since before or after David. 
But one of the aspects of David's life that I want to spend some time looking at this morning is that we know that David had a really tough life. He had a tough going, and he faced a lot of hardships. As a young man, when God removed King Saul and David was anointed king, David spent years running and hiding from Saul and a whole army who were hunting him down to kill him. And as he ran for his life and he went into hiding, he lived in the wilderness and in caves like an animal. First Samuel chapter 1 tells us that he even had to pretend, humiliate himself and pretend he was insane and he acted like a madman to avoid being killed when he was seeking refuge with the rival king. And David spent most of his life battling and fighting with rival kings and kingdoms to protect the nation and the people of Israel. And as the king, he was often the target of these people they were fighting against. And we also know that at times, David, he brought his own suffering upon himself. Again, he was far from perfect. He once had a good man killed by putting this guy in the front lines of battle so that he could take his wife as his own wife because he had fallen in love with her. And we find out in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that God allowed the son he had with his new wife to die because of David's sin. And so I could go on and on and on about David's suffering and trials. But the amazing thing about David is that as he wrote the Psalms, as he lamented and complained, and he complained a lot about his hard times, the amazing thing is that the central theme of each Psalm is not his own suffering and pain, but the central theme of every Psalm is David praising God and worshiping God. If you go back to verses before the main verse this morning, in Psalm 40 verses one and two, here's what David says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. So we see here that David is in distress. He calls out to God, and God restores his strength, and God gives him peace and joy through his trials. And then we see in verse 3, our verse this morning, how David responds. And so when we look at David's life, and, and, and we see what he lived like, we see that there's a pattern, there's a theme throughout his life, and it goes something like this. David goes through a tough time, he encounters God, God delivers him, and he responds by praising and worshiping God. Again, David goes through a tough time, he encounters God, he's delivered by God, and his response is one of worship and praise to God. And so that's the first dimension of worship I wanna look at this morning. There's this vertical dimension to worship that we engage in when we praise God. It's an interaction between God and us. And God is always the one, always the one who initiates this worship interaction. He initiates by revealing his nature and his character. That's all he has to do. Because when our eyes are open and we come to know God, we are simply blown away. Our minds are blown. And what happens every single time that we are blown away by God's goodness and faithfulness and mercy and deliverance is worship. We can't help but to worship him for who he is and what he has done. And we see that throughout scripture, there's plenty of examples. Here's a few of them. The Israelites who kept sinning against God and walking away from God and turning their backs from God, they would come back to God when they were in trouble and God would forgive them and deliver them and they worshiped God. And when the Lord sent down fire from the heavens and he burned the offering that Elijah had set up, it says that the people who saw this, they fell to their faces and they worshiped in response. And in the, books of Acts, in the book of Acts, we see that the people in the early church, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they saw great things, and they worshiped in response. And so there's plenty of examples of that. And we see that time after time, God reveals himself. And when we encounter, when we have an experience with the living God, we are drawn to respond to his love and grace in worship. For David, God revealed himself as a faithful God who delivered him and saved him from his enemies. And so I think of us this morning. I think of what does this mean for us? How, how has God revealed himself to us? See, God helped David through a tough time so many times. 
And so it can be easy to compare ourselves to David and look at our own lives for times when God has helped us out of a tough time and interpret that as how God reveals himself to us. And yes, God reveals himself and his nature by meeting us in our heartbreak and meeting us in our pain and suffering. It's one of the ways that God reveals his nature, his loving and tender nature to us. A few years ago, Tina and I, we met a couple who began coming to our church, and as we hung out and we got to know them, we just hit it off. They're just great people. They have hearts of gold, and I've met very few people who love God as intensely as this couple. And on top of that, they're really funny. They're awesome to hang out with. They're really fun, and Tina and I, we're drawn to people like us, and so obviously we all became friends. (laughs) But as we got to know them more and more, we found out that they had been trying for years to have a baby, and it just wasn't happening for them. And they tried everything, and doctors and fertility experts were telling them to look into adoption as an alternative because having a baby might just not happen for them. Well, the unthinkable happened, and they got pregnant, and we were thrilled for them. We were so happy for them, and they were just on cloud nine. And this couple, I think they deserve to have a baby and be parents and have a family as much as anyone I've ever met. Well, when she was eight and a half months pregnant, only a couple of weeks away from her due date, she woke up one morning feeling like there was just something out of place, something was not right. And so they rushed to the hospital, and when they got there, they found out that their baby's heart stopped beating, and they lost her baby. And they were crushed, they were devastated. I just just remember Tina and I, we went to see them, and we sat in their living room, and the four of us, we just cried and cried together. And Tina and I, we felt like we had no words that could possibly be of any comfort to them. But as we sat there and we cried together, it really struck me that they were not bitter and angry and broken, which would have been completely understandable. But instead, in the midst of their pain and sorrow and anguish, they were filled with God's peace and strength and joy. And they were blessing God's name and praising God's name. And so when I think of them, every time I think of them, I'm reminded of what the heart of worship is. The measure of a heart that is truly devoted to God, the measure of the heart of worship It's how we respond, how we worship when things are falling apart around us. That is the heart of worship. We worship no matter what. David knew that he worshiped God regardless of his circumstance and suffering. And that's where I agree with Bono when he calls David the ultimate worshiper. See, David knew why he worshiped. David knew that there's a lot more to God than God delivering him and saving him from his trials. And like Job, he understood, he knew that he worshiped God because of who he is, because he is worthy, and not only because God helped him out. See, David had a big picture perspective about God's nature, an eternal perspective. And we can see that in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And he's talking about his life here on earth. But then he writes, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there he's talking about, it, about his life after this life here on earth. See, David knew that even if his life on earth was tough and it sucked and it was full of troubles and hard times, he knew that he would dwell with God forever after this life. And that knowledge, knowing that, filled him with hope and it delivered him from his fears and anxieties and it gave him a reason to worship God. And God, he's revealed himself to us in the same way. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's that eternal nature of God which he reveals to us. See, God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. By becoming flesh, walking on earth like one of us, taking on our sin, going to the cross and dying and resurrecting, God has revealed his power and glory to us. He's almighty and everlasting and death could not hold him down. 
And he's revealed to us that he's a loving father, and in fact that he is love. And because of that, before we were lost, but now we are found. And before we were hopeless, but now we have hope. And much like David, we have been delivered. We have been delivered from the grip of death and the shackles of sin. And so we look at that and I think, how, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to a God like this? Psalm 40 verse 3 tells us that, David, that God gave David a new song. And this expression, new song, could mean a brand new melody and brand new words to sing. But David writes this expression, new song, quite a few times in the Psalms. And what it means is a new heart with a new outlook. A heart that is thankful and a heart that worships. And so we respond with a new heart, a heart that worships. And we worship God not because we get a great feeling when we come in here and we sing songs or because it makes us feel warm and fuzzy and we get butterflies when we're singing songs to God. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with getting a great feeling when we're praising God. It's actually a good thing. That is God doing his work in us. That is the Holy Spirit moving in us. But worship is about a lot more than seeking and chasing a feeling. Worship is not about us. It's all about him. A lot of the great worship songs, the songs that never seem to get old, are the songs that are all about Jesus, about Christ, about God. Think of these words. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. That song has been around for more than 10 years, which is a long time when it comes to worship leaders and the songs we like to sing. We like to sing the newer stuff. But it never seems to go out of style because of the power and the truth in those words. And so it's a vertical thing. It's an encounter between you and God, between God and us. It's the vertical dimension of worship in which two parties are involved. There is God who reveals himself to us, his, his grace and his love for us. And there's us who respond to that by worshiping. And when we fully understand the dynamics of the vertical dimension of worship, we come to understand why we worship. And it's vital that we know why we worship. Because if we don't get why we engage God in worship, then we're not likely to do it. And so that's the vertical dimension of worship. Over the years, worship has come to be defined in the church as the act of the people, us here coming together and singing praise to God, songs of praise to God. And that kind of worship has become a massive, massive industry. Think of all the, uh, all the great men and women and bands who have written some of the great worship songs. Songs like Days of Elijah and Trading My Sorrows and Shout to the Lord. And by the way, if you know any of those songs, you're really old. Those are old songs. But come and talk to Mitch after. He'll make you a mixtape. He's been around for a while. But then we have the more current songs and the more current people who are leading the way when it comes to worship. I'm talking about Hillsong and Bethel and Elevation Church and Carrie Job and Chris Tomlin. And these people have written great worship songs. And it's amazing to think that right now, as we gather, as we speak, there are millions of people across North America and around the world who are coming together to sing these songs and to praise God through these songs. And as a worship leader, I just love the amount of great songs and material that these people keep putting out so that we can come together and worship as the church. And yet, when we look at how worship is defined and explained in the word, there's a lot more to worship than songs and music. In the first two verses in Psalm 40, there's two parties interacting with one another. There is God and there's David. But then we move on to the second half of verse 3, and it starts to get crowded. Now there's less less room to move around. Now we get a third party that enters the picture. The second part of, part of verse three says, now many will hear of the glorious things he did for me and stand in awe before the Lord and put their trust in him. See, now David is talking about the people around him as well, the people who will see and hear what David has experienced with God. In 2 Samuel chapter six, we find out that David was not shy about living out his worship. 
At some point, the people were offended because even though he was the king, he was dancing down the streets almost naked, worshiping God. And so when we see how David worshiped with passion and zeal, and what Paul has to say about worship in Romans, what we learn is that worship is a way of life. It's more than singing songs of praise. Music is a great gift from God, and we're called to use that gift to praise and worship God. But when we worship the God in the way that God intends it, we offer our bodies and minds as a living sacrifice. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies and minds to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. If we worship by giving our bodies and minds, like Paul writes in Romans, and therefore it's a lifestyle, then it happens all the time, not only on Sunday mornings. And clearly I don't mean that you walk around singing songs 24-7, because that would just be odd and weird, but worshiping with our bodies and minds means we serve and we minister and we perform acts of worship as a lifestyle. In fact, to worship God means that we do what God did for us, which is give everything. Scripture talks a lot about this, from Jesus, call, Jesus calling his disciples to take up your cross daily, to Paul saying that our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to death on a cross. So worship is a lifestyle of decisions made in light of God's word and God love, God's love for us, and it's not based on our own feelings and opinions. And it's something that is selfless and sacrificial. And so when we worship with our bodies and our minds and actions, as a lifestyle, now there's a horizontal dimension to worship. Now as we worship God with our thoughts and decisions and actions, we're also impacting others for God's grace and God's glory. Now it's not only a private thing between you and God and me and God, but now there's a triangle dynamic going on. Now there's God, who's the object of our worship, there's us who worship God, and there's other people around us who see how we worship, who witness our worships to God. And if you're called to love those around us like Christ loved us, and that is an act of worship in itself, then we have to demonstrate that love like Christ did, sacrificially and selflessly and with actions. If I tell my wife that I love her, but I never do anything to demonstrate that love to her, then those are just words, they're just empty words. There has to be this place of affection and love, small and big, that tell her and show her that I love her, that she's the best wife in the world. And sorry guys, but that's a fact. She's the best wife in the world deal with it. But that's where worship gets hard. I have no issue telling my wife and showing my wife that I love her. She's just amazing, so it just happens. And I have no problem singing songs of praise to God. For me, that's something that comes from the heart, and it's one of the main pathways for me to connect with God. But where I often get in my own way, it's when it comes to demonstrating the love of Christ to others. For me, that requires work, a lot of work. But that's exactly what God desires from us. Not only my voice, but also my thoughts and my actions as well. Worship team, you can come on up, please. So worship is transformation in action. We are transformed, we are made new, we are a new creation because of God's redeeming grace, which he reveals to us. And when we encounter God's grace and we are made new, the automatic reaction is worship. And as we worship by offering our bodies and our minds as a living sacrifice, we allow Christ to live in us. And we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And when that happens, there's an overflow of love which impacts the people around us. God remains the focus of our worship, but now we begin to impact the people around us with how we live our lives and how we demonstrate love to them. And so that's the horizontal dimension of worship, how we impact the people around us when we're worshiping God. There's a story of a man 
named John Newton who lived in the 1700s. I'm sure a lot of you guys know who he was. But John Newton was a sailor who worked in the, uh, the, in the slave trade. And even though he was part of a culture in which sailors were known for their excessive swearing and foul language, um, he was known for being one of the most notorious swearers around. He just used language that went far beyond what sailors were acceptable for. And on multiple occasions, he was even punished by his captains for using some of the worst words his captains had ever heard. John Newton was a man who, although he had been brought up in a Christian background, he rejected his faith and he lived a life which had no regard and had no interest in God whatsoever. But then on one of his trips, the ship he was sailing on went through a violent storm which nearly sank the ship. And as they were trying to save the ship and they thought that they were not going to make it, John Newton cried out to God in desperation, Lord, have mercy on us. And well, the ship made it and John Newton survived, but that experience on that ship had a profound impact on him. That encounter he had with God in a moment of desperation marked the beginning of John Newton turning his life around and beginning to follow Jesus. And John Newton went from being a despicable man, just a, not a good guy, and becoming a pre- to becoming a priest and evangelist. And not only that, but towards the end of his life, even though the culture and society around him were not quite there yet, he came to renounce slavery, his livelihood, as an evil thing. And yet, what he may be best known for is for being the author of one of the greatest and one of the best-known Christian hymns. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton was not a good guy by any means. He was a pretty bad guy, but God met him where he was, and God revealed his forgiving and merciful nature to him and delivered him from his sin. And John Newton's response was to worship God. And so I'm not saying that we should all respond to God's goodness and love for us by writing timeless classic hymns, but we are all called to respond to his love and mercy with worship, worship that is expressed and worship that is lived out. So I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts this morning. Are we responding to to God's love and grace for us in worship? Are we praising God and blessing his name for who he is and because he is worthy? And are we living that out? Are we worshiping God with how we live out our lives and how we demonstrate love to those around us? This was a good morning. Didn't Xavier do well his first time preaching? It's such an important challenge and something for you to mull over in the days to come of what is worship in your life looking like. And the vertical part is so crucial, and we can do that also anywhere. We can do that in the car on the way home. We can do that in our private devotional time. The horizontal part of worship, like that's crucial. There's a reason we sing when we come together on a Sunday morning, and it's not just because the Bible tells us to, and it's not just because it's important to. Those things are true, but we worship together because there's something that happens when our voices rise together and our hearts join together. And with one voice and with one faith, we fix our eyes on Jesus and we declare who he is. And so it's not just about you and God. That's crucial. But as Xavier said, it's about all of us coming together because you can be inspired by the worship team's worship and you can be inspired by the person singing right beside you. And you can inspire your kids in worship as you set that example for them. So when we come together, that's part of it. And so our challenge for you as you go is what's your next step in worship in your walk with Jesus? If you only worship on a Sunday morning, maybe it's time to find another place in your life to worship as well. 
Or if you come in and you're just checking it out and you don't really engage, maybe it's time to start singing with us. And if you're singing with us, maybe it's time to lift a hand. Maybe it's time to take a next step as we look to go deeper with God and our relationship with him and worship being a crucial part of that. Let's pray as we dismiss. Father, thank you for the word of God coming through your servant today. Lord, we receive it as your word for us with all the encouragement and challenge that goes with it. Lord, show us what this means for us. There are next steps for all of us to take as we take another step towards growth, another step towards maturity, another step towards heaven. Show us what it means, Lord, and help us to get there as we seek to worship you with every part of our lives, with our songs, with our words, with our actions, with our finances, with our parenting, with our friendships and relationships. Lord, we want to honor you, so be glorified in our life because, Lord, you are always worthy of our worship. You are always deserving of our praise. And so we give it to you, Lord, as best as we understand how you have it. And we will continue to give you all of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We will see you next Sunday.